0: Living and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you this morning, we pray. Amen. Did I answer that question for you, Bill? God can do anything. The end. Amen. Amen. End of sermon. Um, We've been spending uh, the last few weeks and we will be spending the next couple of months, for those of you who've been with us, looking at the big Picture, exploring the kind of the whole picture of Scripture as we have it, and kind of zooming in on a few stories to see what we can learn, and then zooming back out into how it fits into the whole economy and the whole picture of who God is, of what God is doing, of what God promises us as His people, and of how we live in, how we are to live in light of that. So that's what the next few months of our journey together is going to be about. So I wanted to start with a bit of a poll this morning. Uh, So I promise I'm not going to come and put a microphone in front of your mouth or anything like that. I'm going to ask you a simple question. Who has ever read the Bible from cover to cover? Okay, put your hands down. Next question. Who has a habit or a regular practice of doing it? over and over and over again. Whether it's over a year, over a few months, over a few few years, it doesn't really matter. Okay, just put your hands down. It's really interesting, isn't it? We call ourselves people of the word. And at one sense, we call ourselves that even though we don't read it, or we call ourselves that even though we only read our favorite bits, I'm not going to ask you any more questions, but why are we investing in this big picture of God series? It's because for the church of God, the church of God has never, ever, ever been more biblically illiterate. The rates of literacy in the world around us, in the country around us, have never been higher. And the way in which the people know the story of God has never ever been lower. If you want to be really terrified, one of the things I do when I'm not here is I teach other people how to be vicars. And I know it's a joke. We can talk about that over coffee. Uh, But we, we start with that question every single year. First year students, how many of you have ever read the Bible cover to cover? Do you know what happened last year? They complained that we asked the question, exactly what it's really important that if we're going to call ourselves the people of god if we're going to say that we're formed by the word of god it's really important that we don't trust the people that god sends to lead because the truth is increasingly they're as biblically illiterate as we are and the only way we can solve it is by putting our hands up and saying i want to know more for myself This isn't meant to be a kind of stick to beat you with, it's just the reality. If we want to see more of God, if we want to recognise more of God, we need to understand more of how God works. And yes, God speaks to us, yes, God moves by his spirit, but he also gives us the good book. So if we want to know more, we have to study more. Amen. End of sermon. No, no, it's not. Uh, As we read scripture, we find a number of different themes and concepts that jump from the pages. So there are a couple of themes that run through the entire of the Old Testament and the New Testament. One of them is the theme of covenant, the the theme of promise, the promise that God makes to his people. And that's split into two. We have the Old Covenant or the First Covenant and then the New Covenant or the Second Covenant. And we heard that played out uh, in our communion liturgy this is my new promise is what I said in the liturgy this morning in other prayers we have this is the new covenant in my blood it's this promise it's the way that God promises and what God promises he will do and he will be to his people so we have this theme of covenant we also have this theme of kingdom The kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of God that is expanding all across the earth and even outside of the earth as God becomes to be truly the king that he is. As creation itself puts God in his place, as Malk said this morning. And that's the kingdom of God. So we have these themes of covenant and kingdom. And we started to explore a little bit of that last week when Claire helped us Uh, to get underneath God's covenant with creation. And this week, we're going to look at God's covenant with his people. And we're going to start in that old covenant, in that first covenant. The covenant that was completed in the life, the work, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Everything that we will journey towards celebrating at Easter. And as we look at that first covenant, we look at a man called Abram or Abraham. For most of us, I guess if I did another poll, who's ever heard of Abraham? Most of the let's do it. Who's ever heard of Abraham? As in, there we go, there we go. Everybody's pretty much everybody's hands are up. Maybe in a year's time, if I ask who reads the Bible regularly, we'll have the same response. bit of a challenge Uh, but here we here we go so we have Abraham he's one of the heroes of our faith he's one of the safe kind of people in that we teach about him an awful lot in Sunday school or we teach about most of his stories we don't tend to focus on his mistakes because we're scared of them and we definitely don't tell the story of Isaac and how God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son because we've not done the work to work out what's really going on there But Abraham is somebody who we've all heard of, and you don't have to spend very long in and around a church to understand the story. But I wonder, do you know where the story of Abraham actually begins as we read Scripture? Because it becomes really clear, and it would have become really clear as Bill started to read Genesis 17 this morning, that he doesn't start in Genesis 17. We join the story of Abram who became Abraham and Sarai who became Sarah. We join it halfway through in our reading this morning. So we have to look for the start somewhere else. You don't need to worry, I'm not going to ask you to find it. But some of us would say maybe it's Genesis 12. And Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3, this is what we read. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we can be forgiven for thinking that's exactly where it starts. God's call to Abraham, uh, to Abraham at that point, sorry, abram will you follow me? Go to the nation that I am sending you. Leave everything else behind. But here's the thing. I don't think that's where we first meet Abram. I think we first meet Abram at the end of Genesis chapter 11. And it isn't his story. Because what we have at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis is the story of Terah, Abram's dad. And Abram's dad, we're told, decides of his own accord that he is going to leave his homeland and journey towards Canaan. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us this, and I want to be really clear, that this is my summation, because what we have is either the biggest coincidence in the history of the kingdom of God, that Abram's dad is sent to the same place that Abraham would go on to be sent to, or we have something going on where Terah is, is engaging in the same message, in the same story of God, that we will go on to see his son, Abram, who becomes Abraham, do. And what we see is Terah begins to set off towards Canaan. He gets to Haran, and for a number of different kind of reasons, and you can have a look and kind of read that bit of Genesis, and you'll suddenly work out that Terah had a son called Haran. He got to a place called Haran. Probably his life fell to pieces, and so he settled there he settled there and didn't carry on into to fulfill either the purposes of his best idea or what I think is going on into where his God was leading him and it was in the midst of that that God speaks to Abram and he renews that call leave everything and follow me and this time with Abram he says that as you go I promise I will be with you Here's the thing, the first thing we learn, the first thing we need to learn in the story of Abram. Failure is never fatal. Even in the kingdom of God, failure is never fatal. Abram already knew that his dad set out and settled. There was something going on here. There is something that hadn't been followed through on and God, and yet God, still said, "Abraham, I want you to go and I promise I will go with you. Our failure is never, ever fatal. Arguably, the very first thing that Abram does is he fails. A bit further on in Genesis chapter 12. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. That's 12 verse 1, sorry. So leave everything, the land you know, your father's household, and set out. And God says to Abraham, I will show you where you were to go. So what does Abram do? Uh, we find out a bit later. So Abram went as the Lord had told him to. So far, so good. And Lot went with him. Who's Lot. A member of his father's household. So the first thing that Abraham does is he goes, he follows God, but he takes somebody that he was supposed to leave behind. And yet God goes with him. Our failure is never fatal. God uses everything. We don't get one shot. God continually says, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. We've got nowhere near the covenant that God makes with his people, and yet we have this message that goes on and on and on that says that God is saying to his people, your failure is never, ever fatal. So what does God promise? And I know I've said this, but I'm going to say it again because we live in a world where we want the fruit of the promise but none of the work to make it a reality. God is really, really clear to, to Abram. Go, follow me, and as you're obedient, I promise that I will. That's the covenant that God makes with his people. That's the covenant that God makes with you and I. As you follow me, I promise that, dot, dot, dot. What we want to hear, and in fact, most of the time, what the world around us preaches back to us as the churches, but God is, and God says, dot, dot, dot. But he also says, if you do this, Then I will do this. So kind of in our wing of the church, we get to 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, which is, if my people will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear, I will turn, and I will heal their land. We're all for the turn and heal the land, but we don't read the condition that says, if my people humble themselves, turn and pray. It's the same thing. As we follow, God promises and this is what God promises. He promises three things. I will make you a great nation. He says to Abram and Sarai, I will make you a great nation. A man and a woman in the ancient world at that time had one job. Make babies. That's literally what they were about. Because it secured the legacy and it secured the future. It was part of their identity. Nothing else matters. We, met, we meet Abraham and Sarai at the end of Genesis chapter 11. If you go home and read it, you're not going to read this introduction to Abraham and Sarah, these great heroes of faith. You're going to read an introduction to Terah's son, Abram, his wife, Sarai. And what are we told? The baron. Nothing else. Nothing else at all. We're just told that they're barren. Why? Because it engulfs, uh, ensnares them as people and it becomes everything about their identity. They have no legacy. In the world that they're living, sadly, they're seen as utterly worthless. They are without issue. And what God promises is, I will make you a great nation. It's either true or Or it's some kind of sick joke. Because what God is actually promising is that as you follow me for Abraham and Sarai, I am going to repair and restore your identity and I'm going to replenish your legacy. That's what God is promising. I am restoring and repairing your identity. And I am going to give you back your legacy. Why does Abraham become Abraham? Why does Sarai become Sarah? Because they are different people in light of how they follow their God and what their God promises to them. I will make you a great nation, I will make you a blessing. This childless couple would have had the stigma of their barrenness following them around. They will have never, ever being considered a blessing. Why? Because as they approach old age, and let's not forget, as Bill reminded us, in Genesis 17, we meet Abraham as a 99-year-old man. As they reach old age, they've got nobody to look after them. I would have said in years gone by, this is like a world without the National Health Service. Uh, But kind of given the issues we face in social care in this country, maybe, maybe it's not too far from where we are now. But joking aside, it was a lot worse. Actually, they had no future. They were a burden on somebody and they were a burden on people who lived outside of their family. And God says, I will make you a blessing as you follow me. No longer will you be seen as a burden. There are lots and lots of other things that are going on in the story of Abraham and Sarah. But at points, we literally read that as God unfolds more of the story he has for them, Sarah laughs. And I would. Because it's so different to the world that they have experienced. It's so different to the world that they expected. I will make you a great nation. I'll restore your identity. I will replenish your legacy, God says. I will make you a blessing. And I will bless all people through you. From the start... The plan of God for his people was all-encompassing and universal. This covenant isn't a promise, isn't an agreement that's made between God and Abraham, or between God, Abraham, and Sarah, or between God, Abraham, Sarah, and their family, or between God, their family, and their people. Scripture is really, really clear. This covenant was always, always meant for everybody. God is saying, as you follow me, then I promise I will make you a great nation. I will repair and restore your identity. I will give you back your legacy. I will make you a blessing and I will bless all people through you. I made a throwaway joke when I first started talking about Abraham and about how at Sunday school we don't like talking about Isaac. But here's what's going on. As we approach the end of Abraham's story in Scripture, God has done all of this as they've followed. By the way, Abraham and Sarah continued to mess up on the way. And God continued to say, follow me and I promise. Follow me and I promise. I don't know about you, but that's the thing I need. I am only one mess-up away From falling off my bike and needed to get one again. Follow me and I will promise. God continues to bless them. He gives them a son. Because God can do anything. Isaac arrives, even to a man who's above 99 years old, Bill. That's what happens after. (laughs) And then after that, Isaac grows up. And God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son to we run away because we never understand why would a God of love do that. But here's what's going on. God is saying to Abraham, "Are you investing in me the relationship and the covenant that we have, or are you investing in the gifts I've given you as a result of it? Is it me that's the foundation of your life, or is it the gifts I have given you?" The story is really, really clear. God had already prepared the way. Isaac was never being sacrificed. It was a challenge to where Abraham's heart was. And it's the same challenge that you and I are left with this morning. God promises us as his people that as we follow him, he will repair our identity. He will restore our legacy. He will make us a blessing and he will bless us those who live their lives around us. So how do we stack up? Literally, how do we stack up? Where's our identity? How secure are we feeling in ourselves? What are we worrying about for the future? Are we a blessing? And do we bless those people around us? That's the promise of God to his people. It's still the promise of God to you and I. As we follow, God promises he will.